0: This is a Village Soundcast Network original production.
1: Hello and welcome to Lends Me Your Ears, the film podcast that takes a look at new films, either in theaters, when we're lucky, or on streaming services, and then compares them to films from days gone by. My name is Stephen Cook, and I'm a Lifestyles reporter with The Chronicle Herald here in Halifax.
0: I'm Karsten Knox. I'm a film blogger. You can find my blog, Flaw in the Iris, on HalifaxBloggers.ca.
1: And today we don't really have a new film to look at, but of course we're big fans of the Criterion channel and they often have some great programmed series of films, some themed programming. And there was one that we particularly liked on Films About Gambling. So we're going to look at some of the films from the Criterion selection, as well as a few from outside of their particular box, to see what it is about films that get at the heart of the thrill of rolling the dice, spinning the wheel, or turning the next card.
0: So yeah, today on... Lends me your ears we're talking about gambling uh, this is episode number 121 and 21 is blackjack so uh, <laughs> it feels appropriate that talking about so movies perfect. this movies about gamblers uh, I mean let's face it most movies about gamblers are about desperate people looking to win-win-win it's uh you know it's really an uh, uh, it's frequently not all the time but I, f- I say it's frequently ga- movies about gambling are really movies about addiction about Weakness about things as human beings, we we struggle to get past. Um, they tend to be pretty dark and and grim stories. Uh, at least the ones that we watched that were. I think for the most part, though, with maybe one
1: <laughs> notable prominent exceptions.
0: exception. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I think uh, I think for the most part. Most people in in you know in our world, I think, know what what it's like to play a game. Maybe play a game with stakes, and uh, and a lot of people unfortunately know what it's like to have something that compels them to do things, risk risk their livelihood, risk their uh, their their lives sometimes in ways that don't quite make sense, and. Um, overcome our our rational thought and a lot of these stories are about that and i i uh i appreciate that i appreciate that as a storytelling device as, as a as a way to i mean a lot of these characters are really difficult to like but but i think that we can find sympathy in their um you know in their in their appetites and uh, i think that's 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 it's a it's a very human story when I when I think about it
1: and certainly sympathy for the people whose lives are affected by their kind of reckless uh, endangerment for the sake of whatever charge they get out of uh, playing the odds and taking chances and that kind of thing. And I, I, I think because i mean there, there are films about gambling going back to the silent days and you know i think of like dr mabuse the gambler der spieler uh the fritz lang uh, series of films um you know he's obviously like a gambler and a criminal mastermind but it's all part of the the same thing and and of course in the business of show as it were uh perhaps making a movie is one of the biggest gambles of all because uh so much money is on the line so many careers are at stake and uh you, going into a film unless it's like a pre-sold Marvel franchise property kind of thing, you don't know how it's going to turn out in the end and how it's going to be received and whether it's going to make money at the box office or flop or find an audience or whatever. So somehow the art of making films and the uh, pastime of gambling seem kind of inextricably intertwined in some way.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. That's very well observed, Steven. I appreciate that. Um and uh you know, there are a lot of movies about gambling. They're we we've only chosen a, a small selection, but uh, you know I made a list of things, of movies, of ones I really liked that I've seen in the past that uh, that I we didn't talk about or we won't be talking about things like The Cincinnati Kid, uh, Molly's Game, Mississippi Grind, uh, Rounders, which. Which I'm actually not not too sorry we we didn't watch again. I, I enjoyed the film a lot, but but in retrospect, Rounders was basically Goodwill Hunting except with cards. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Matt Damon was the hotshot. Um, card player for a while there he was kind of following the Tom Cruise career arc where he was uh, you know playing every time he was showed up on screen he was just really really good at something even I think saving private Ryan he was kind of like a hot shot soldier and um, but uh, anyway, th- that's a whole other episode for us to discuss. Uh, let's start with Bob Le Flambeur from 1956. is directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. He's one of my favorite French filmmakers, and I think that my 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 affection for him has come about through this podcast. I think in the past five or six years, we've watched a few of his films, and I've really enjoyed them. And uh, every time I've watched his work, I've been I've it's just you know he's the he makes thrillers that are hard boiled very influenced by American cinema from the late '40s and early '50s at noirish time and uh, yeah there is uh, there's something really delightful about Bob Le Flambeur it's about an aging gambler in Montmartre Paris who had a streak of bad luck and uh, he meets a young woman for him for whom he feels a certain I guess paternal protectiveness uh, meanwhile he gets word of an opportunity for a heist at a casino but his young protege Paolo and a pimp named Mark they also get involved as does a police inspector who thinks Bob has gone straight Uh, it's an entirely stylish film very much in tune with American cinema as I mentioned lots of checkerboard designs on the floors and the walls lots lots of great Paris locations and a lot of time spent in the as they call it the demi-monde that time between dusk and dawn where you know the nighttime denizens play their games of chance. It's a, it's a, it's a super. It's one of those movies where you, where the plot is slow to unravel, but the mood is there from the very first uh, scene. So yeah, what did you make of it, Stephen?
1: Well, Bob Le was actually my introduction to the world of Melville and his films. This was the first film by him that I saw, and it was, uh, you know, it's kind of love at first sight. I loved the way he created this world on the screen uh, that uh all the characters kind of are are so unique and and stand out in such a such a strong way the 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 gentleman gambler the kind of adoring kind of sycophantic uh, wannabe the the hard and uh, devious pimps and the, the the that camaraderie between uh the cop and the and the gambler slash criminal uh, all that kind of stuff it just it just really uh i just love the interplay between all the different characters and and the depiction of that world that that world that seems like from a you know a world gone by i guess of 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 the nightclubs and you know even the lowest hood dressing to the nines and all that kind of stuff playing dice at the table of this you know very kind of swishy bar in, in montparnasse i think um and uh it's you know the whole thing just kind of spoke to me and it might have been my first introduction to kind of euro noir as well to the fact that that this film is obviously quite strongly influenced by what was happening in in american crime dramas and just takes it and adds that extra coat of sophistication and and you know, and French gloss to it that just uh, puts it over the top and, uh, you know, just made me want to see more of his films. And I don't think I've been disappointed yet by uh, any of the titles by him that I've seen, but, but, uh, but this, you know, the, the combination of, of the gambler and the, the criminal and, and, the thin line that separates them, I thought was really well uh, put forth in this film.
0: Yeah, I uh, I agree. Absolutely. And uh, this is one of the films in Criterion Channel's Gambler collection right now. Um, I think I saw it first on DVD, on maybe the Criterion Collection edition of it. Um, but I went back to it. It's one of the cases where I had seen the remake and incidentally uh this is (laughs) one of these one of these odd coincidences but uh that that there are remakes of some of these films and and on our episode today we're going to be talking about this one which has been remade and also another film from the 70s that has was remade and we're going to talk about both the original and the remake um and uh yeah i think i'd seen the good thief in 2002 from the great Irish filmmaker, Neil Jordan, who we have definitely spoken about before, I think in our, in our, maybe our second episode about Irish film. And, um, he, uh, he remade the film and, uh, I really enjoyed that. So I, I made a point of going back to watching the original. Um, and I, I suspect I may have rented it from video difference. Now that I think about it, uh, the late lamented video store here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. But, um, yeah, Bob LaFlambeur really uh, made an impression on me. And it was really a lovely sort of pairing to watch the the new version and then go back and see what inspired it. Um, and now uh, the good thief I should mention, um, Bob LaFlambeur is now Bob the American, uh, a growly Nick Nolte as a junkie card player. Uh, really fun to watch these films back to back and see how much – Jordan has kept from the original screenplay a line here and a line there but how much he updated it the art thieving side of it and let's face it there's nothing more stylish <laughs> than art thievery and the good thief is nothing if not stylish uh great picks in in the score from Bono to Leonard Cohen um uh, yeah I, I I think and I mean you know it, it's hard to knock the original of anything obviously Bob Flambeur has is a little clunky in places that just is because it's a you know 60 plus year old film but um it it is it still has that ineffable charm about it the good thief is much more stylish it's much more um in 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 terms of its modern kind of approach but uh you know, it, it's it's much more indebted in some ways to elements of 80s and early 90s French film, the sort of Betty Blues and Femme Nikitas of the world, which uh, you can. Some people like it, some people don't. I I'm a big fan of that kind of cinema, probably because I watched so much of it at the time. Uh, what about you, Stephen? I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that you are more of a fan of the original. I, I can kind of go both ways, depending on uh, on the day.
1: Well, I got to say, I really enjoyed watching them back to back, which is not the best way necessarily to watch an original film and and then a reimagining of it. It's it's best to give yourself a little distance between the two. But of course, for the for the. Uh... The process of doing this podcast we don't often have that luxury we of have to do a bit of cramming sometimes and uh but in this case it was really uh informative to watch them back to back and see what was kept and what was updated and what was added and and uh you know the good thief is about a good, good an example of how to take a film and and put your own stamp on it as i can think of it's uh you know if, if you have a fondness for the original then you're going to enjoy what gets carried over but it's it's so stylish in its own way and and so uh up to date it doesn't feel like a clunky painful attempt to make a an out-of-date story fit into the modern age there's a lot of stuff about the technology of of the heist which is you know as we've done we've done heist episodes at least one and and uh, we love all that stuff and and this film gets into it and and uh and, and nick nolte is great as uh as as bob with all of his different stories you know his ever-shifting story about his mother you know which is it's just it's just a nice fun touch and and un- unlike bob was just on a bad streak uh in the original here he's really bottomed out he's 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 kind of grasping at his last straws uh when this uh potential um for for a big payday uh comes through and 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 of course who better to play that kind of uh character than nick nolte especially at this point in his career and and he's uh, he's fantastic here he's not he's not as suave as roger de in the original but you know because here they've added the, the extra note that he's he's also a junkie which is um uh, an interesting turn and then that gives him you know a little more depth of character and that he's trying to claw his way out of two holes in one which is uh i think a, a nice extra touch and it, it adds some modern elements like the fact that uh in the original um the snitch is is a pimp who's been picked up by the good cop as it were here it's a uh, saeed who is uh i guess uh, originally from uh, i think probably algeria uh and uh they're trying to take him in and send him back home but then uh, from LaFemme Nikita as you mentioned <laughs> you know well, why not why not have a, a, a nod to LaFemme Nikita by casting the great Cario, Um Cario uh, decides that Said could be useful uh in getting uh, into whatever uh, Bob is up to and and uh, reporting back and and so you've got that kind of double agent aspect that's also in the original and I, I like the, the way they updated that as well so uh yeah I and it's you know and it's stylish in its own unique way as i said off the top like in that that opening card game where saeed actually puts a gun to checky cario roger's uh, the cop's head uh i i felt it somebody had been watching uh, some wang kar wai films it reminded me of scenes in uh chunking express for example so i i feel like there's a lot going on in this film and a lot of stuff coming from all different angles
0: Yeah, you're not wrong. It is really an impressive looking film and an impressive vibe. The casting is terrific. I agree. It's nice to see Cario in it. And of course, his character's name in Nikita was Bubba. And I (laughs) I love the way the French pronounce that uh, that name, Bubba. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, and the underclass in France, the Algerian kid pressured to be an informant or he'll be deported. The 17 year old Russian runaway you know there there's enough realism here amongst the very zippy sort of writery dialogue to keep it rooted um and i, I enjoy how the, i don't know if you notice this but at the end of scenes there's usually this one like just very brief still to give it this like oh hey you're watching a movie don't forget like that's that element i really liked uh and of course ralph or, or i should say ray fines cameos Just a little bit like in Bruges as a chaotic, dangerous presence, only improving matters. I think if you can add some Ray Fiennes to your movie, you should do so. Um, And uh, interesting, though, one thing about the new version, it's more about the heist than it is about the gambling. And I felt like in the original, it was really more about the lifestyle, about the gambling than it was about the heist and uh And that's that's an interesting change. But, you know, heist movies, I think, have become, if anything, more popular uh, in in recent days and recent years than uh, than, you know, the the character driven film is is less likely to bring bums in seats.
1: Yeah. And of course, it's a much more complicated scenario in this film than it was in the original. The originals are pretty straightforward. Figure out the safe you know case the joint work out the routine kind of kind of straightforward kind of heisting but here it's it's a much more devious uh strategic kind of uh undertaking that I don't want to give too much away about but but uh you know it also involves artwork and and uh in, which is where fines come in comes in getting into the world of you know stolen art sales and all that kind of stuff and and so the, there's a lot more going on, on that end of the scale so I can understand why they might have eased off on um on some of the the heist stuff and the, the unfortunately the film is a little hard to find i don't think it's on any streaming services at the moment you have uh the old canadian alliance uh dvd which i'm sure there must still be copies of out there and it's got some deleted scenes and i wonder if they're more about the gambling and maybe stuff that was more taken verbatim from the original because there there are even whole chunks of dialogue that seem to be directly lifted from melville's script and, and if you listen to the commentary with Neil Jordan you know he he definitely wanted to keep a lot of what worked from the original but but it, it has its own unique kind of sense of humor that uh you know obviously comes from Neil Jordan he's, he's a guy who can inject humor into some of the darkest and most dire of storylines uh things like uh you know with the the young uh, Russian woman says that you know I could go I could go for guys of your age Stone Age <laughs> Just, <laughs> i mean that that cracked me up there's some real wit behind this which i think is one of the reasons uh why it works as well
0: yeah yeah absolutely and you know another film that uh also balances the sort of nocturnal lifestyle of gambling with a a heist is croupier from 1998 also on the criterion channel right now directed by mike hodge's who directed Get Carter, Flash Gordon, and A Prayer for the Dying. But he he had gone a stretch before he wowed the critical world with this film and introduced them to a young actor named Clive Owen, who I re- that really broke him in Hollywood, this movie. Uh, watching this, I felt like he was auditioning for James Bond. He, he was in his mid-30s at the time, which is the right age, and he looks terrific in a tux. Uh, but that was not to be. Uh, The film's written by Paul Mayersberg, who had done work with Nicholas Rogue. He'd scripted The Man Who Fell to Earth and Eureka. Uh, So Clive Owen plays Jack, a writer struggling with a novel, and with his girlfriend, Marion, who was played by the always terrific Gina McKee, who in the next year would be in Notting Hill. Uh, Jack's father, who lives in South Africa, helps get Jack a job as a dealer, a croupier, in a London casino. Jack has done this job before, but he tried to get out of it because he just is not... He doesn't want to live in that world, observe people losing their their monies, the the addicted. Uh, But he's gifted at it. And uh, the scene in the casino feels like it's out of a 60s London crime film. Everyone's smoking. Everything's flat and overlit. Lots of mirrors. Everything's just a little bit sleazy. Uh, But uh, Croupier is a great film about gambling. The novelty of the gambling story told from the perspective of the dealer who has sort of his own tale of addiction in a way. Um, the other is the noir voiceover, his, his voiceover, but it's in the third person as if he's writing a novel about his own experience. It distances Jack from himself, but it also from us, I think. Uh, his motivations are a little opaque, but when Marion wonders if he has a conscience, we wonder too. Uh, he ends up being attacked by a punter with a grudge, and he really beats the crap out of this guy, and you think to yourself, Wow, he's, he's a bad bit of business. Um, but talking about lines that are great, there's one I really like. Someone says, the world – He actually, he says, the, the croupier says, uh, he, quoting Ernest Hemingway, he said, the world breaks everyone, but many are stronger in the broken places. And his, the other guy says, isn't that the <laughs> fellow who shot himself? Um uh, yeah, it was it was really fun watching this croupier again and, and uh, a real pleasure to rediscover its sort of sleazy charm.
1: Yeah, like some, somebody says he's an enigma and he goes, I'm not an enigma, just a contradiction. <laughs> just, yeah, and and there's a lot of clever writing in here in this film. So, so we've got Mike Hodges, who's a pretty straightforward director working with this surreal script from paul maresberg and I, I think they find a happy medium for material like it, it doesn't get as out there as it might have if nicholas rogue had directed it and maybe nicholas rogue was meant to direct it initially hard to say um but uh it, it, it's it's an interesting kind of revival for hodges i mean he had that amazing uh debut as a feature filmmaker with get carter in 1971 and then the rest of the decade is kind of a struggle with these kind of misbegotten films and then he winds up making flash gordon <laughs> in 1980 you know which is you know just a weird mismatch but but of course the film has now become kind of a cult favorite and then he goes back into tv he makes something called morons from outer space i mean and you know his career was you know sort of like uh, bob le it was kind of uh, at a low ebb when croupier uh, came along and uh and it's he's he's really black back back in his uh get carter element here with this character and this milieu and it, he seems to really have a firm grip on both the character and and the world he lives in and it, i think that's what makes it uh uh such a such a joy to watch just in the way that it takes us into the world of of the gambler and it has a great cast there's some great familiar faces as some of the criminals and hoodlums and uh alex kingston from doctor who river song on doctor who shows up as a woman with a mysterious past who you're never really sure what her motivations are which is kind of perfect for her because that's kind of what River song was like uh uh only this is like years before she played that character and uh yeah just uh just all through it It i i saw this at some point around the time it came out, and it was—it's another one that was great to revisit and just pick up on all the atmosphere that it's putting across, and and Clive Owen is a really appealing lead, um, and it's it's kind of a shame he never got that chance to don the tux in the in the guise of 007.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, um, but he's so good in this, and uh, you know, it, it's it's there's a lot of self loathing going on there with his character, and I think the film challenges us in the audience to find. Something about him to really like, and and uh, it's his, it's his. He's so good at his job. We, I think, we tend to like characters who are good at good at something. You know, in in their um, in their lead. Uh, certainly, as my I mentioned earlier about Matt Damon, he's very good in those films. Um, you know, his characters have has a gift, and that's what his gift is: is is to be a a dealer, be a croupier. And uh, yeah, and like the other movies we mentioned, this one goes from being a character piece to being a heist movie, and uh, it's uh, it, it's it's compelling all the way through. Uh, now, I wanted to mention I used to have this film on DVD at one time, but it was full screen, and uh, and I found that really irritating to watch because it made it look m- like old-fashioned television. And I remember I remember the last time I saw it, I was a little disappointed by it, and I think it was that framing, and it just. It just, it took something away from the experience. So I wound up uh, trading in the DVD, but to watch it on the Criterion channel in full widescreen is a real pleasure. And uh, it's a lot better looking uh, on the streaming service.
1: Welcome back to Lens Me Your Ears, the film podcast looking at a variety of films connected by the genre or star or director or whatever we feel like on a given day. And here we are back in...
0: uh, (laughs)
1: Isolation, recording remotely uh, in our fortresses of solitude on either side of Peninsula or Halifax. And uh, which we were talking about films about these kind of isolated loners in the world of gambling. So maybe it's appropriate that we're recording remotely this week. And hopefully, maybe things will change by the time uh, two more weeks roll around. But here we are talking about some of the great and not so great films focusing on those characters that like to to play the odds and and put everything on the line and and uh, either come out on top or completely bottom out and we've seen both of those over the course of these films now the film we're going to talk about off the top of uh, this segment is Robert Altman's California split from 1974. Uh, from a script uh, by joseph walsh who was better known as an actor uh in fact i don't know that he wrote a lot more films than this one this might have been the one, one, one story he had in him but what what a story it's uh basically the the combination of uh altman favorite elliot gould and Jordan siegel uh who uh we recently lost of course uh as, as a couple of gamblers making their rounds through the games and gaming parlors and and uh, betting establishments and race tracks and that that whole subterranean world of the uh, professional gambler and basically they form this friendship uh, that starts at a poker tournament, uh, when one of them is accused of cheating and they're accused of working together which they aren't but then they decide hey maybe that's not such a bad idea and uh, it's it's this kind of shaggy dog rambling story as they have their, their ups and downs uh, at the gaming table and elsewhere uh, now Charlie Waters Elliot Gould's character he's a professional gambler that's kind of his life he's based on uh, Walsh himself who wrote the script uh and Walsh and Elliot Gould were friends in fact i think they might have even been roommates uh, once upon a time and and so george Siegel is actually playing more of the elliot gould real life character it's kind of a weird switcheroo but th- there you have it and uh he's not a professional gambler but he gets hooked on the the energy of uh, of charlie and you know that that the thrill of 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 winning or you know maybe not winning as the case may be and uh you know he, he works at a magazine i'm not sure if he's a writer or an editor but he keeps flaking off work to go to the track or uh go to reno or whatever and he's decided that that's way more exciting than proofing pages or looking at photographs for the next issue or whatever and so it's this kind of mutually self-destructive spiral that the two get themselves into and it's it's you know it's it's fun to revisit this i saw this years ago on uh on tv a tv screening where of course large chunks of the film were probably cut out to make room for commercials and so on uh and then the film suffered other indignities with uh being edited for home video because they couldn't get music rights i think something like 3 or 4 minutes were cut out of the DVD version that initially came out um because of some of the music stuff especially uh in the scenes towards the end in Reno uh Criterion are able to show it uncut and I think it's also streaming elsewhere in its uncut full version which is great so and it looks great it's a really nice remaster of this film of course sometimes Altman films can look a little muddy a little cloudy here we get all the stale cigarette smoke and beer foam and everything and all it's brown beige seventies glory. And, uh, these two characters are through all their ups and downs, pretty irresistible to watch. I, I revisiting this film. I was worried it might be a little too cringy as they go from highs to lows, but I really enjoyed, uh, you know, seeing these two guys kind of get into one scrape after another.
0: Yeah. I really enjoyed the film too. And I'm so glad I had a chance to see it here as part of our, you know, chat about gambling movies and, uh, and having it available on the criterion channel. Uh, all the things you said I, I absolutely agree with, uh, and I really enjoyed that Charlie lives with a pair of prostitutes, uh, Barbara and Susan, played by Ann Prentiss and Glenn Wells, and I, I really love them. I, I almost wanted the movie to be about them. They're just you know, it's the quintessential case of the supporting cast being so good that you, you could kind of follow them off on their day. And I would enjoy that um,
1: Rosencrantz and Guildenstern syndrome.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and uh, and it's interesting how how the name Barbara comes up again and again in the film. Uh, clearly an important sort of theme. Um There's a great analysis of this film on the website Bright Wall Dark Room that calls it a love story disguised as a gambling movie, and that's exactly right. There's a connection between these two guys that's sweet and kind of innocent, but the connection is gambling and how they feel when they're doing that together. Uh, At one point, you were talking about the music, Phyllis Shotwell, she plays... You're nobody till somebody loves you in a Reno gambling den. And it says everything you might want to know about these two guys. It's um uh, it's really it's like supposed to, I guess it's kind of comedy, but it's a very melancholy one. And uh also wanted to mention, you know, Jeff Goldblum is in it. For about a minute, as a uh, it's his second movie after Death Wish, where he played Freak Number One. Here he's he's only got one scene, but there is no doubt that's him. It's uh it, it's 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 funny to see him in like in his early maybe maybe in his early twenties. Um, yeah, no, it's great. It's a great movie.
1: Yeah, one of the best portraits of the gambling lifestyle and the subculture, which is kind of Altman's thing. You know, Nashville was country music. Uh, You know, Nash was was a wartime hospital base. And you you really feel like you're in this lived-in community, as it were. And it's also one of the ultimate portraits of codependence, as you say, from that... from that article uh certainly underlines it all uh you know the bill becomes charlie's lucky charm in a way and, and vice versa and and then until he's a jinx <laughs> so you <laughs> right. know then it, it's then it's just kind of the, there's that emptiness which i'm sure like every every gambler feels especially when they've had those highs and lows and at some point you, you just had the life sucked out of you and and this film expresses it in a way unlike any other
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, another film we watched from the Criterion channel is The Gambler from 1974. Now, this is another example wherein I had seen the remake, just like Bob LaFlambeur and The Good Thief, and I sort of went back to it. So I I had seen The Gambler before, uh, but great to see it again. Uh, But The Gambler from 2014, directed by Rupert Wyatt, written by William Monaghan, that is – is a fascinating reimagining of the story. Uh, the original was directed by Carl Rise, written by James Toback. And uh, yeah, um, you know. The immortal James Caan plays Axel Freed in the original. He's a New York professor from a Jewish family where granddad came from the old country, became a self-made millionaire, and the mom is a doctor. Axel has a few problems with finances; he can't seem to afford buttons on his shirt, <laughs> but that could be seventies fashion. And he owes forty-four thousand dollars to a number of bad men, including nineteen seventies heavies Paul Sorvino, Burt Young, and Vic Tayback. There's like the the the. You know, the unholy uh, trilogy right there of, uh, uh, of, of bad guys. Um, now, they aren't unreasonable dudes, but they want their money. And Axel Days are, are spent trying to explain the vagaries of desire to unengaged students in his college English class, including a young basketball tout. Otherwise, he's out driving around town in a convertible Mustang or hanging out with Lauren Hutton, who doesn't really have much to do here but play observer to his compulsions. Um, also check out M. Emmett Walsh and James Woods in small roles of the, uh, in the film. It's, it's quite a portrait of a confident man, but who's hobbled by his disease. And, uh, and in, in some ways that plot is very much stuck to for the newer film plate where Mark Wahlberg plays Jim Bennett, uh, who's, I think a more interesting central presence. He's also a college professor and author, very much a Los Angeles creature with his, his, uh, BMW. Um, but uh he, he's he's not just a man with a gambling problem he's kind of nurturing a beef with life itself uh and he's uh, he actively loathes his job and his class of students studying the modern novel um here the lauren hutton part is is uh, brie larson and she's really good uh, i mean this is a film that really really benefits from a great cast um, so yeah. Uh, how did you feel about this pairing of the original with the, uh, with the remake, Steven?
1: Well, I, I have a fondness for James Caan in, in his kind of seventies heyday. He, he, he has this kind of weird, tough energy that was uniquely his. And, uh, you know, even when he's playing a holes, he somehow makes them likable on, on some level. And here he's really pushing it because he's, he's an aggressive, angry gambler. Uh, and, and when he gets drunk, it makes him even, even worse. Uh, you know, you wonder why Lauren Hutton is even sticking around for this film. And like you say, you know, the the role uh, of the, you know, in, in the remake, I think that Brie Larson kind of takes on that role in, in a certain way and, and she gets a little bit more to do with it. But uh, I feel like there was some sort of weird symbiosis between James Caan on screen and Toback, the writer, because I, I believe that this is basically Toback's story. Like Joseph Walsh with California Split, um, this is the... This is the film that, for better or worse, made Toback a, a name in the film business. And this is, I'm um, basically his own experiences with gambling, and 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 he, you know, he became well known for it. Even you know, later into his career, he was still well known as as being a gambler. So, you know, it's it's that personal experience I think that informs the original version. Uh, but I think William Monahan, who wrote the screenplay for the new version with Mark Wahlberg, I think he's probably a better writer. So he. You know, he takes the story and injects some fresh life into the characters, uh, you know, g- gives Wahlberg a little more nuance than maybe James Caan had to work with in the original screenplay and also some of the surrounding characters. And, uh, you know, I mean, this is a guy who wrote The Departed, Kingdom of Heaven. Uh, uh, you know, he, he's he's no slouch. And I feel like uh, he really did a good job of taking it apart and putting it back together.
0: Oh, absolutely. And the cast in the new version is just is stellar. I mean, I mentioned the bad Ben from the 70s version. They're all of course, terrific character actors here it's Alvin Ng, Michael Kenneth Williams, and especially john Goodman, who really shines. He's got this half naked bathhouse appearance with his head shaving and monologue about how America was built on a certain f word that that'll be haunting my nightmares.
1: That's a great uh, speech.
0: I think, I think the sing- if you're going to see this movie for any reason, see it for John Goodman. Uh, and also for Jessica Lange, who plays Jim's mother, this strange, vaguely Oedipal relationship. Uh, and Jim's grandfather, who only has a brief appearance, but George Kennedy, the great George Kennedy, is in this. He dies early on, his character. But it's lovely. It's great to see him, always. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know... It's. I think it's worth seeing. It kind of vanished, right? The remake didn't do very well at the box office. I don't think a lot of people are talking about it. But and it's. It's. I have a um, uh, a DVD, Blu-ray of it. But uh, so it's. It's not part of the uh, Criterion Channel collection. But uh, you can watch the original on the Criterion Channel, and maybe you can find the remake elsewhere. Uh, we should also mention something that's also on the criterion channel from the seventies. And that's the killing of a Chinese bookie. And somehow I've had sort of a black spot or a blank spot in my cinematic, uh, diet for John Cassavetes. Of course, I've seen him as an actor and other things, but I've, I don't know that I've actually ever seen one of the films he's di- directed, and I, I'm really glad to have the opportunity to see this. Um, in some, some people say he's responsible for inventing American independent cinema that we know today, uh, and I can see the stylistic debt that some films owe to this, the sort of focus on the lead actor to the exclusion of a lot of other characters, a handheld camera, sort of rambling, character driven narrative And it's a little weirdly edited, to be frank, and sometimes even hard to follow. But uh, here, it's about Ben Gazzara's Cosmo. He's a Los Angeles club owner. His bar, Crazy Horse West on Sunset Boulevard, is sort of a burlesque joint. Some might call it a strip joint. But Cosmo runs it and choreographs all of the performances. He records the music. It's a whole production for him. He aspires to class, to finery, to art. But he still seems kind of sleazy with his big collar and his open shirt. And his dancers are kind of his entourage. Um, and he's got a lot of debt to a loan shark named Morse, played by Seymour Cassell. And uh, he rapidly gets back in debt after a bad night of cars. He just paid it off, and then he's back in it. Yeah, and it just is about the film is about how he's got to pay off this debt, and Mort and his goons ask him to murder this Chinese bookie of the title. At first he won't, but they make him an offer he can't refuse. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's there's not much in the way of thrills or suspense. It's mostly just a character study of a guy who gets in too deep, and a portrait of a certain Los Angeles, mostly nocturnal community. I really enjoyed Timothy Carey as the gangster oh, Flo. Yeah who gets to give a terrific monologue about the lessons his father told him. And he's got the weirdest grin ever. He is a genuinely creepy character. Yeah, it's not a film with much forward narrative, but it is a film with a lot of mood.
1: Oh, for sure. And it was great to see Timothy Carey here as well. Uh, You know, people will probably remember him as one of the doomed soldiers in Paths of Glory. Uh, He's in The Killing as he plays as kind of a psycho hood. Um, And he's uh, also memorably in the monkey's film Head, as a just menacing presence that keeps popping up from time to time and this is kind of later in his career but he's fantastic here i guess he's just because he was tough to work with he didn't get a lot of roles as his career went along but uh you know he seems to work well in the cassavetes verse uh and the version that uh, is currently available on criterion is the full length 135 minute cut of the film i guess after it premiered uh Cassavetes himself cut almost half an hour out of it and you can kind of see how that's possible there's a lot of kind of meandering takes and and things kind of go on a lot longer but that's kind of the Cassavetes style it's meant to be a little loose and improvisational and uh you know it's it's interesting after sort of straight up sort of family relationship kind of dramas he takes on kind of the crime world in his own unique way here and i think it results in probably one of his best films even though it doesn't have Gina Rollins in it uh you know his best work is probably the films with his wife and and collaborator Gina Rollins but you have Ben Gazzara who is a fantastic actor so natural so believable and kind of a Cassavetti's uh i mean this isn't news to anybody who's read anything about him but you know kind of Cassavetti surrogate in the role in fact uh Legend has it that Cassavetes actually took him aside and said, just play Cosmo uh, like a filmmaker scrambling to get the money to make his next film kind of thing. Like, so basically in a way he's kind of based on Cassavetes and his kind of scraping together of, funds to to make his next project kind of thing and that's that's where that energy comes from it's that direct symbiotic relationship between uh director and star that that drives this film and and it's a pretty unique film for its time and i think it's it still works pretty well especially the way that gazera makes this character fairly sympathetic even though he's running a strip club what well, looks like the world's most depressing strip club i have to say uh, with that uh was it mr uh mr sophistication the mc who just Anytime he's on screen, I'm just immediately bummed out. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. so the opposite of entertaining. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but still, it's you know he's he's dedicated to preserving this world of burlesque, as it were, at, when everything was changing. And and uh, so you have to kind of admire that on some level.
0: Hi, I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson, host of the Food Podcast. But you know what? It's not just about food. It's about people and their stories shared through the lens of food. The Food Podcast has been described as an audible fairy tale. How about that? You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. So come join us. We would love to share our
1: stories with you.
0: You're listening to Lens Me Your Ears, and we're here in uh, our gambling dens to discuss movies about gambling inspired by what's available right now on the Criterion channel. Uh, We're now going to move on to our third segment and talk about three movies that are actually, oh, I guess one of them is on the Criterion channel. But uh, uh, the the first one we're going to talk about is one that Stephen recommended. It's called God of Gamblers (laughs) from 1989. It's a comedy action movie starring Chow Yun-Fat, uh, as Ko-Chun, the titular god of gamblers, basically a gambling superhero who keeps his identity secret, he crosses paths with Knife, played by Andy Lau, and his buddy, And uh, due to an accident that's basically too silly to be explained, Ko-Chun regresses into a childlike state, he forgets his identity as this super cool gambler, but his passion for chocolate and his gambling skills are still evident and those are sort of exploited by Knife, who is an avid, though not a very capable gambler. This is a, uh, yeah, I can't say I enjoyed the film very much, Stephen. I'm sorry to tell you. The plotting is ludicrous. It's got, it feels like one of Adam Sandler's especially awful movies. It relies heavily on slapstick and really cheesy uh, moments of comedy. It's incredibly juvenile. Uh, and the action sequences are Pretty awful. Uh, the only thing it's got going for it, as far as I can tell, is Chow Yun Fat's ineffable charisma. I mean, that guy is—you can watch him do anything, and and uh, you know, you could watch him reading the phone book, as they say. And uh, this is about as much fun as that, I would say.
1: Well, that's that's the reason that I was drawn to this film way back when, when I was going to various uh chinese grocery stores around town that actually had like walls of vhs tapes of uh you know once i'd seen the killer at wormwoods i was completely hooked on this world and just uh tried to take in every hong kong action film i could and this this one kind of surprised me because i did not expect to see uh chow yun fat doing comedy especially one where he kind of reverts to this infantile state while these um you know kind of low life hoods are trying to use him and use his gambling skill. I mean, and I think I just like the ludicrousness of the set. Like he knows from the sound of the dice how they're going to land when he rolls them out of the cup kind of thing and you know, he somehow has this sixth sense about you know cards and that kind of thing and and uh, it, it is a comedy. It's it is slapstick in the kind that we don't see anymore. And Let's face it, The director Wang Jing is is not a master of his craft in any way, shape, or form. So I I enjoyed this film for all its silliness, uh, just to see Chow Yun-Fat kind of undertake this kind of thing. But it's funny, I'm looking at uh, uh, Wang Jing's uh, filmography and uh, God of Gamblers is certainly one of the top films on it. There's a, there's a Stephen Chow film, um, Royal Tramp, that I'm also kind of fond of, but the rest of it is things like um, Microsex Office and uh what else sexy and dangerous and uh, till death do us laugh anyway and on and on if you want a good laugh look at the wang jing filmography you don't have to watch the films just the just <laughs> just some of the titles are enough to to get a laugh out of it but it's uh yeah the definitely not a style it's for everyone uh, but for some reason, I like the silliness, the slapstick, and then, and then of course, it, the tone changes on in the blink of an eye. All of a sudden, it's, we're back to Hong Kong parking lot grass shootouts that are choreographed like a John Wu movie. So, you will get whiplash from the tonal shifts in this film. But if you like Chai and Fat and want to see him do comedy, this is one of the few opportunities to do that.
0: Yeah, and I I'd seen the John Woo movies, you know, from the '90s, and so I, I was familiar with. I think that those are the ones that introduced me to Chow Yun Fat, uh, and I really enjoyed the the level of action choreography in those films. I don't think this one can compare at all. Oh no,
1: no, uh, but, yeah, but not yeah. by a long stretch. But they're obviously playing on that charisma and star power that he had at that time. Um, I'm trying to think. Like God of Gamblers comes out, um, basically the same year as the killer like he in in, in 1989 there are uh about he had five movies <laughs> come out in 1989 He was a real workhorse i mean and the year before that was no different even before the killer uh, you know things after a, a better tomorrow made him a star uh with better tomorrow one and two he was clearly in demand and they, they they put him through the ringer in those few years until he got to hollywood and he was making things like the replacement killers and the corruptor which nobody seems to talk about it anymore but um and they don't talk about this film either but having said that i uh i i have a higher tolerance for silly i guess so there you go
0: right there you go all right well let's move on yes, uh that's... we've 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 had our shot of silly uh let's we've been vaccinated against uh, the silly i should say let's uh let's try uh talking about hard 8 from 1996 which i feel like is the culmination it's Paul Thomas Anderson's first movie, and uh, it's it's a culmination of a lot of the influences we've been talking about in this previous, in this episode, you know, uh, Robert Altman and California Split and uh, John Cassavetes and The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Uh, Anderson, I think, loves those films and loves those filmmakers, but he has his own style and he's got a confidence in his storytelling that was already evident very much on display in this first Feature film of his, um, and it's got that that incredible melancholy that uh, gambling movies and uh, dramas set in in casinos seem to have in, the, in American film. Um, it's about an older professional gambler, Sidney, played by Philip Baker Hall. He takes pity on a younger man in trouble, John, played by John C. Riley. Now, John needs money, and Sidney shows him how he can make a little on the casino floor. And then we move ahead two years. And John has become Sydney's protege in Reno. John is interested in a server in the casino. Uh, Clementine, she's also a sometimes sex worker. She's played by Gwyneth Paltrow. And one night, John and Clementine make a very bad decision, actually, make a number of bad decisions. But Sydney is there to help. And then a dude named Jimmy gets involved. He's played by Samuel. L Jackson. So you've got these four characters, basically these four lead characters, uh, in this movie, moving the plot forward. The plot takes a while to really establish. It takes about almost half the film. It feels before we really get into it. But it's the dynamic is there, and and uh, obviously Anderson's confidence. His he he just knew what he wanted right off the top. And uh, and this is a film that for a long time has not been available in physical media. I've been looking for the dvd for some time and it's been very hard to hard to get your hands on and then to have it show up on streaming services um it's on as as we mentioned it's on the criterion channel it's also i think on another um on demand service i've seen it somewhere maybe it was maybe it was uh, prime amazon prime or um or crave but uh yeah it's it's anyone who is a fan of there will be blood or um Any one of his other films, we've talked about a number of them here on the show. That uh, that they should give a give give a look at his at his his first film out of the gate because uh, P.T. Anderson, you know, he, he doesn't mess around. He's he's just he's on his marks from the get go.
1: Well, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add to that. Just to say it is a remarkable debut. And uh, like you say, that that I think that debt to uh, California split is uh, is right there. He's, he's made no bones about being a Robert Altman fan. Philip Baker Hall, he saw him in an Altman film, Secret Honor, where he plays uh, Nixon in a bravura one-man performance. Uh, you know, clearly that resonated with him enough that he wanted to cast him in his first feature film, and, uh, and I feel like uh, maybe there's a bit of Bob Flambour in there as well. Like Sydney feels very much the spiritual kin of of Bob, the the silver-haired, seen it all uh, gambler and um, and criminal, <laughs> you know, living the the, the twilight life, which uh, is so vividly portrayed here. And yeah, I, I I hope that maybe maybe Criterion will get their hands on it for an actual deluxe reissue at some point. Uh, they've already worked with uh, Anderson on, on at least one other project. So hopefully this will get the re- revival it deserves.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and for fans of Philip Seymour Hoffman, we've been a, we've been a fan of his on our show and spoken to fondly about his work. Uh, he gets a single scene cameo here that, uh, and, and he would become a Paul Thomas Anderson regular in his later films, uh, that, uh, it's yeah it's uh it's great to see him in this one scene uh you won't miss him he's got the world's worst uh hairstyle i think uh it really it, <laughs> you know that's one thing about mr <clears throat> mr hoffman is he, he he didn't mind looking silly and uh he didn't mind uh, uh playing characters who were deeply damaged deeply weak and, uh, and that's, that feels like that's the case here as well. Uh, and I noticed a few we want to talk about ways in which uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was influenced by other American or other filmmakers. Certainly some distinct Scorseseisms here in the camera work. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I enjoyed the hell out of watching Heart 8 again. Um, now, I think that pretty much almost wraps up our chat about uh, gangster movies, but we still have a little time left. We should talk about uncut gems from 2019. Uh, this is a film; it was basically hyped to the to the gills before it came out. I remember we were waiting for it at the end of the end of the year because it was a possibility. A lot of people were saying that it was Oscar-worthy performance from. Adam Sandler, who I've already badmouthed once this episode, uh, <laughs> but um, this is Sandler in in uh, some of the best form he's ever been in. This is a film directed by the Safty brothers, uh, Josh Safty and Benny Safty, and uh, written with by them and Ronald Bronstein. And it's an incredibly caffeinated film um it's a story of a new new york jeweler and gambling addict whose life goes off the rails over a chaotic week it's a intense agitated film uh it starts with 15 minutes of dudes yelling at each other and actually it actually starts in ethiopia years ago where miners take advantage of a diversion to cut a chunk of opal out of a tunnel wall uh in a mine and months later howard ratner as sandler gets his hands on this stone he suggests it's worth more than a million dollars and not a minute too soon, because he owes thousands of dollars to more than one group of celebrities, people like The Weeknd playing a coked-up version of himself, and professional athletes. Uh, many thanks to Dem- Demani, uh played by Lakeith Stanfield. Every entourage has a guy like him, someone who knows how to get the drugs and the toys and the baubles. And Demani brings former NBA star Kevin Garnett into Ratner's shop and gets him interested in this African prize, which allows... Uh, Ratner the opportunity to go further into the hole with another outrageous bet. And somewhere else in this symphony of tension, he's, he's also separating from his wife, played by Adina Menzel, and dating one of his employees, played by Julia Fox, who's got a sideline hustle as a Coke dealer. Uh, and keep your eyes, or I should say your ears open for Natasha Leon and Tilda Swinton, both of whom lend their voice talent. Um, this is not an easy watch. It doesn't help that Sandler is so good at channeling that fast-talking sleaze that's long been a part of his comedic persona. He's he's awful. He's pitiful. But he somehow generates sympathy over the, the course of the film, especially by the end of it, when he comes to grips with that most American idea, that win-at-all-costs ethos. Um, this is a movie is making a case for him just as it reveals the price everyone around him pays for his ambition. Uh, it is it is the sort of the knee plus ultra of gambling movies. It's a remarkable performance from Sandler every once in a while, you know, he delivers a kind of character where you can, you just can't imagine anyone else in this role. Yeah. It's, it's a special film.
1: Well, I've uh, ever since punch struck love, I've uh, never been able to really count him out. Uh, You know, even though he's there's obviously a certain type of film he's more comfortable playing. uh, But, You know, when it comes to character work and given the right material, he's obviously all in on it as he is here. And yeah, it takes all that anxiety that was in The Gambler and California Split and and then just basically cuts away the chaff and just focuses in on that. Uh, It's 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 uncut anxiety basically would have been just as good a title for it. And uh, uh, I don't know that I'll be returning to it anytime soon, but it's, you know, it does It does wind you up in a way that very few films do.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, who else? All the, the supporting cast is great. And I especially enjoyed Garnett basically acting as himself. You know, I don't think he had acted on screen since Eric LaSalle's film Rebound, which was a basketball biopic shot in Toronto back in 1996. That fun oh. fact, I worked on as a production <laughs> assistant. Uh, he has a lot of fun playing with the image of a, Sort of superstitious sensation chasing superstar, um, but yeah, it it I there's so much about the film to admire. It's set in 2012 in the NBA conference semifinals, so that that actual event is adds to the drama. Um, there's a terrific sort of sports docudrama just outside the margins of this picture, um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's just it is a relentless amazing movie just you just got to hang on tight and and uh and just go with it but uh, it's also one of the most stressful movies i've ever watched so i think that uh, that is probably true of a lot of gambling movies is that they just kind of they get under your skin and and there there none of them are are absolutely easy watches because you're really seeing some of the worst of humanity uh on display but uh but you know we need stories about that too This has been Lens Me Your Ears, our episode about gambling and gamblers, the price that people pay. I hope you've enjoyed listening to us ramble on for an hour about these movies. And maybe uh, we've introduced you to a few that you might want to check out. Uh, If you want to reach us, we are available on social media. We have a Facebook page. uh, Lens Me Your Ears is on Twitter. I have a Twitter handle named after my film blog called Flaw in the Iris. And you're on Twitter as well, aren't you, Stephen?
1: at ns underscore s-c-o-o-k-e
0: thanks so much to ckdu for airing our show every second tuesday at 5:30, and for the access to studio facilities when available also many many thanks to our uh our producers at the village soundcast network for all you guys do and thank you again for listening to lens me your ears
1: thanks and let the chips fall where they may